Welcome back for another episode of the Techspective podcast. My guest this week is my friend Ron Gula. Um, so, you know, you you and I, 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 I interviewed you like way, way, way back when. Uh, you know, we, we've known each other for many, many years. Uh, eventually, uh, I did come to work, you know, for you at Tenable. And, you know, now, now here we are, uh, life moves on. Um, but, you know, you, after kind of, you know, leaving your day-to-day duties at, at, at Tenable, um, uh, you know, you've, you've created Gula Tech and, and you're out there, you know, I, 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 you know, follow what you're doing and I see, you know, kind of the investments that you're making and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the grant program that you, you're, you're, you're running and, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the sort of giving back to the community and investing in the community. And, um, part of the reason that I wanted to have you on and, and have this conversation today is I wanted to, to talk about, you know, what you see out there that's innovative, like what's, what's, what's coming, you know, because it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to just invest in more of the same, you know, to invest in the, the, a startup that's just doing the same thing as a company that already exists, but with a different name. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come on again and 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 talk about it. So, so Gula Tech Adventures, we're we're very focused on protecting you know protecting the nation. We'll call it the free world if you want, with the right cyber technology and the right cyber workforce. So we're very focused on getting the right technology out there and getting more people into this into this career field. And we have a number of levers that that we pull. Uh, we invest in technologies and then, you know, work on those those organizations, uh, you know, their go to market strategies, their boards, their 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 M&A. Uh, we do grants. We do competitive grants where we actually put a problem out there and we ask people to apply and, and we treat them almost like companies, if you will. Like who's the most competitive or who's the most effective at, at, at doing these things? And both of those together, it gives us a lot of ability to then go talk about public policy. We you know, support a lot of different, you know, go to markets with public policy, both with, you know, directly talking to politicians and also working at places such as the Wilson Center or defending digital campaigns, where it puts us in a lot of contact with, uh, you know, bipartisan approaches for for cybersecurity. And I, I think the the really interesting thing about what we're doing is like it's all related. You know, when we invest in a company, you know, something like Cyberary, you know, they got three million people that they've gotten into the business, they've given certifications to. It gives us a lot of perspective when we're showing up to like maybe an Aspen Institute conference on diversity, equity, and inclusion in trying to diversify the cyber workforce. And you know, that everything we do is very, very related. So we call it an adventure, even though we have a venture capital arm and we have the the, the foundation arm. And happy to talk about any of those types of technologies or or some of the nonprofits that we've been working with. Okay. Um, yeah, because you know, like I said, I, I've I've been in cybersecurity and writing about cybersecurity for twenty years now, and you know, some some household brands or whatever have have been around that whole time. You know, you, you're you know, you know, on the technology side, the, you know, the Microsofts, the Intels, the Apples. On a security side, the McAfee's and the semantics, although, you know, uh, you could, you know, they, they seem to be sort of fading a little bit now as they kind of get 
acquired and spun off and reacquired and and uh, and things like that. But there, on the one hand, um, you know, it seems like like a lot of cybersecurity seems to just be a, a merry-go-round or whatever. Like you know, we like we new products come out and 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 uh, we don't seem to be making significant progress, but. I will I will caveat that with, and I and I've I've mentioned this before on, on previous episodes, that the bar has also increased. Like you know, the, the the threat landscape has expanded. The volume of devices that need to be protected has grown by orders of magnitude. And so, to say that we haven't made any progress would be false. Like I think you know we keep making progress, and the threat keeps making progress as well. Um, and then and then and therein lies the challenge, which is you know finding innovative solutions that can kind of get us ahead of that curve and, and one step ahead of that, that that threat landscape and hopefully in a sustainable way like a like in a not not just a we're going to keep leapfrogging each other indefinitely but it, it, you know it would be amazing to find a, a technology solution a cybersecurity solution that actually you know ending would be a very strong word like i don't think you could ever end the, the threat but significantly well, well, yeah there's there's a lot to unpack there so first of all the cyber industry is not like the airline industry you know the airline industry is heavily regulated we all fly around on very similar airplanes and we all have a very similar experience on on the internet though your network my network our home networks are likely different you know tenable's internal network where we both both worked at was probably a lot different than qualis you know so there's a lot of variations that go out there and, and when you look at even things like public companies, you know, hear about something like a bank like JP Morgan have $500 million cybersecurity budget. It was only 20 years ago that public boards were required to have financial experts join their thing. That, that was due to Sarbanes-Oxley. There's no requirement for a cyber committee. There's no requirement for these public boards. There's a total lack of visibility from the boards of people paying attention to these issues. So no wonder something like Colonial Pipeline can go can go undetected for a while, or when it happens, it's catastrophic, because people don't look at these things like systemic from a systemic risk point of view. They look at them from a let's sprinkle hygiene and hunting. And don't get me wrong, I'm I'm I always want more hygiene. I always want more hunting. But these organizations out there are not approaching things from a systemic risk point of view. Now, specifically with investments, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of what we try to do at Gula Tech Adventures is invest in solid engineering. Granted, there's always more hygiene, there's always better ways to hunt people, but we have to get to engineering solutions. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one of our investments is Trinity Cyber. Uh, you know, It'd be great to have every internet connection protected with this company because they literally can look inside all of the files, whether it's a GIF or a Word doc, and literally remove malicious content in a transparent manner in such a way that a coffee shop, a small university or whatever doesn't have to have a sock and doesn't have to have those kind of things. That's a kind of engineering solution that's that's pretty good. There's other companies out there like Scythe. How do you really know when you've done enough compliance and done enough hunting? Well, take a QA approach, right? Before an airplane takes off, you have to go through these checklists. Well, before you have authority to operate, why don't you make some implants with Scythe, make some malware, simulate dark side put it on the network, see how long it takes to, to, to find it. This is something Dmitry Perovich has been pushing for the last, last couple of years. 
how long can you actually find something like that? And then lastly, you know, if you want to actually have secure communications, that technology exists. If people are using email and corresponding with other people, they have a host of issues like with phishing and and with, 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 with executables coming in. Why not think about replacing something like email with perhaps a Slack competitor and something you can control the crypto with? And we have companies in that space called called HiSide. And, and it's a Slack, Zoom, team sort of sort of competitor, but it allows small business and large enterprise to do that. So these are companies that we invest in. There's a whole, we're not gonna talk about all of them. We, have a, we probably have about 100 companies that we're working with either directly or indirectly, but every one of them, we've got some sort of engineering focus on how these technologies can protect my mom and dad, the, 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 the nation, you know, big DOD networks, because the, the threat is just that big. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, when you talk about your your mom and dad and stuff, I it, it what's one of the things that's I, I often have to remind myself of and kind of step back is, you know, I'm, you know, I, I have a cybersecurity background. You have a cybersecurity background. So things that make sense to me and 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 the way that my brain works when I see an email come in or or just see anything online is different than my brother or my father or my mother-in-law, um, and 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 it's also true even working in a cybersecurity company there are people who are the cybersecurity side of that but then there's just the company side of that there are people in accounting and people in you know wherever who who just aren't aren't security minded that's not their background and the solutions that we create the the technologies we put in place need to be able to protect them uh, you know, and you know, like I had a conversation many years ago with with you know various security experts about like, well, what are you running on your computer for for anti malware uh, endpoint protection? And a lot of them, the answer was nothing. And yet, they were more secure and 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 didn't get didn't get compromised by anything. Meanwhile, you know, my, my I have family members who are running two and three different you know security software solutions on their on their computers and are getting compromised all the damn time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a tapestry. So a, a lot of times when we look at problems, we want to find more than one way to solve it. So one of our investments in the phishing issue is, is, is Inky. Now, Inky is a enterprise phishing business email compromise solution. They use AI, computer vision to stop, you know, potential bad things coming in for your corporate email. It doesn't do anything for Slack, doesn't do anything for your personal email, which is we think is a big threat. So we invested in another company called Pixim, P-I-X-M. They have a browser plugin. Anytime you're about to log on, I think of my mom and dad, right? Anytime they're about to log on to something that looks like Facebook, it basically checks the URL, the certificate, that sort of thing. And it says, hey, that thing really looks like Facebook. It's not coming from an IP address or domain name that, that we're afraid. Don't click on that, it's probably phishing. And a, and a tool like that is the right kind of thing that you need to give to you know, the general public, people who don't have a cybersecurity background, or frankly, you know, you or I are experts, but in a moment of weakness, when you're distracted and you're targeted, you know, you might really appreciate a banner, you know, coming up saying, hey, don't click on that. And and we need more solutions like that to solve these sort of social problems of lack of training and awareness, because we didn't learn the fact that, you know, the Internet is a hostile place and we really need to defend ourselves from the information coming at us 24 by 7. Yeah. One of the so. I, I'm kind of curious, like as in the position that you're in um, as the you know, venture capital investor and, and sort of, you know, 
consultant uh, to, uh, in some some ways to to all of these uh, companies that you're working with in your portfolio. Um, do you encourage or uh, you know like do you encourage them to collaborate or work together in any way? Because one of the things I'm I'm noticing more of even from top tier Fortune 500 cybersecurity vendors and and the U.S. government and uh, in, in in general is a much bigger focus on this problem is bigger than any one of us. And that, you know, as great as, as great as I might think my product is, I'm not so uh, narcissistic as to think that that is the sole solution to, to uh, all of our cybersecurity woes and that we have to cooperate and, and work together on this. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of interoperability that we've been, been, been pushing. So for example, you know, Trinity cyber, it can rapidly look at documents and files and remove malicious content, almost like a sandbox, but more or less instant, you know, with zero latency, 40 milliseconds, that sort of thing. So Inky is actually sending their attachments through Trinity right now, which is actually a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool relation. Uh, we had another company, uh, Racktop Systems. Racktops has a way to do large scale petabytes of like enterprise file store, storage area network, network stash stores, that sort of thing, except they have everything you ever want built in to control the crypto, the high availability of that. And they also detect and stop crypto ransomware and, and that. So they were building a malware lab and I said, hey, that's great. Maybe you should just buy a copy of Scythe, simulate dark side, simulate crypto ransomware and, and you know, do that. And, you know, I, I just, there's so many different things like that that, that can uh, that can be done. Those are some of the ones that came uh, that came to mind. You know, Cyberary is another one. I mean, anybody who's got online training, if you can get on that Cyberary platform, you're going to expose yourself to a much larger market of potential customers, but also people who are you know entering the career field and want to know what the latest and greatest commercial certifications and commercial technologies are out there. Okay. Um I, I lost I lost my train, but um, I do think um, oh, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say that you know one of the one of the other things that I've I've you know been aware of for a while, but you know again notice more as as life goes on is you have a background um, you know with the government and the military. Um, you know other people that we know do, and and I've actually you know noticed that a number of a number of cybersecurity companies are are you know founded by uh, you know people who are ex ex NSA or ex US military intelligence or ex other you know nations military intelligence, and it's uh, lately I, I, you know it seems it seems more and more that the 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 line between what is a nation state attack and what is a cyber crime attack gets blurrier and blurrier uh, you know especially with our primary adversaries with you know being Russia and China in in that in the, in that realm um it's kind of hard to tell okay well you know what is that a is that a chinese cybercrime group or was that the chinese government or you know or uh, all, all of these attacks from solar winds to dark side to now uh, uh you know this this uh jbs or whatever uh uh meatpacking uh, which apparently they've now said is the uh, Revel ransomware, which is another one out of out of Russia. Do you, you know? Does that background help? Does you know? Does does it does it help bring insight in terms of like? Well, we know we know kind of how nation states 
approach cybersecurity and cyber espionage, and therefore we have we have insight into like how to try to address this issue. So, with my my own personal background, you know, learning cybersecurity while working at the National Security Agency, you talk about standing on the shoulders of giants, people who basically invented. You know how do you, how do you talk about? I mean, nobody talked about it as cybersecurity. They talk about information security, information engineering, the 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 orange book. You know the the different types of NIST standards when it comes to how crypto, cryptography works. So I had a lot of that experience, and a lot of people who are coming out of Cyber Command and starting companies these days, coming out of the NSA Computer Directorate and starting companies these days, and that's definitely a good thing. Uh, for larger organizations, larger federal organizations who are subject to basically auditing, maybe by DHS or NIST, you know, they are being audited against some very, very critical, uh, critical standards out there. That really sets the tone for how commercial organizations are supposed to defend themselves. But if you look at it, you know, a commercial organization doesn't have knowledge of satellite overhead reconnaissance. They don't have knowledge of you know, insiders who are walking into embassies and giving up information about, uh, you know, disinformation campaigns or, you know, targeting that that's that's out there. So the government always has more resources in the private sector. The government has skiffs. Very few people have skiffs out there, you know, for for example. So the government really has shown people what can what's the art of possible really, you know, really is. So the question is, is what is security when you get out in the private sector? What is enough? All right. Um. Do you have any thoughts on, yeah? You know, like I don't want to, I don't want to turn this into a you know, uh, international geopolitical uh, conversation per se, but you know there has been a, it seems a rise in cyber, you know, a rise in tension on like the cyber Cold War front um, between the United States and Russia. Now there's there's a there's a degree of plausible deniability. In that dark side is a you know is 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 viewed as a cybercrime group that is not part of the Russian government per se. Revel is the same thing. So they have these cybercrime groups that are behind these ransomware attacks, but they're operating, you know, with relative impunity uh, out of Russia. So it, it seems to me like there's there, even if Russia isn't pulling the strings and Russia isn't saying, hey, go attack the Colonial Pipeline, they are so they also aren't stopping them. Yeah, we, we live in, in just we we live in the world of science fiction. I, I mean it's it's these cyber attacks are going on. We don't know who's taking action against them. And we even have, you know, space warfare and and, and directed energy weapons, uh, you know, target against uh, you, you know, American, you know, government people in Cuba and perhaps even in DC. Who who can make up, you know, this kind of stuff? So when it comes to cyber it might be crypto ransomware. It might be the the modern equivalent of of uh, pirates or the mob, but but those mob and pirate organizations do indeed operate, you know, at the pleasure of their of their host countries. So the question is is how much action is going on in cyberspace? You know, can we talk about like let's assume Cyber Command or the NSA, you know, did some sort of attack against uh, Darkseid. Maybe that's something that, you know, they're just going to serve in silence and do their job and be very satisfactory, satisfied that they're protecting the country. You know, on the other hand, if we're going to do a UFO commission and Congress is going to release about the latest UFOs, I think we, the American public can handle, you know, what we are and are not doing in, in the cyberspace. Yeah. One of the things, too, that that doesn't come up that often, but every once in a while I I I, I 
step back and I say, you know what, as much as, you know, I feel personally threatened or personally attacked because these Russian or Chinese entities are are executing these cyber attacks uh, against U.S. interests, I do I do kind of sit there and go, we're probably doing the same. I mean, I don't have any direct knowledge of it. I don't, you know, I don't know what the United States is doing, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that the United States is also doing similar uh, operations in Russia and China. So we're not we're not innocent in 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 that. I don't I don't think. Again, I have no direct knowledge of it, but I just I assume that we are also engaged in similar activities. Well, imagine imagine your job in the U.S. military is to defeat you know a Chinese air squadron or a Chinese you know naval flotilla group or a Chinese hypersonic weapon. Or change that from to Russia, change that to Iran. And let's say the only thing you have is the fact that they haven't patched some vulnerability in an FTP server that somebody has access to because they're in line of sight from a special forces. You know, some of these cyber weapons, it's literally like you press a button and then the plane doesn't take off or the ray, or you can take over the the, the 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 airplane. And you know, let's assume that that technology exists. That would be highly classified. And and we shouldn't talk about that. But at the same time, you know, I think if people are coming at us with techniques, I, I, my hat's off to people like the NSA who've come out and said, here's the actual 20 or so techniques, the CVEs, the specific CVEs that China's using to target American business. That's great transparency, and that's a really, really good thing to share. But it's hard for the general public to differentiate like a really magical cyber attack that, you know, comes from aliens in the future with not patching a system and just having access to it. True. Um, what do you think is, you know, what, what, what's what's the, the, the next step? Like, what's wh wh where do we need to go in terms of cybersecurity as an industry to try to get ahead of all of that? And, and, and again, with the with the blurred line between nation state and 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 cyber criminal, um, you know, it, it seems like the stakes are higher. So there, there needs. So in America, there's a very, very high level concept. So we need to have transparency, and you know we have so much transparency in our financial system. We have transparency in our voting process. We have transparency in the way airplanes move around. We need to have transparency in our cybersecurity. And there's a lot of elephants in the room that just are not there. The government is not protecting small business. The government's not protecting big business. They're a deterrent. And they're doing it, but it's really up to, to to the commercial sector to defend themselves. And I'm really happy with people like Keith Alexander, General General Alexander, who are talking about a public-private partnership where in some cases, you know, the private sector can inform the government about attacks that the the government's not aware of, specifically FireEye's discovery of, of solar winds, for example. We need to encourage those kind of things and not discourage re reporting. At the same time, I'm I'm really encouraged that the government is spending more money on on cybersecurity. I, I think the Biden administration is proposing $20 billion of new spending for CISA and the DOD. The most of it's going to the DOD. I would really encourage the more we think about spending, the more we focus on engineering and not just more hygiene and more hunting. Now, don't get me wrong, more hygiene is always going to help. More hunting is always going to help, but as an industry, you know, we we have a hard way of prioritizing. You know, is a 16-character password better than a 15-character password? Well, yes, absolutely, it is. 
but are there other systemic things that need to be fixed? So I really, really want to push organizations who are receiving capital to focus on engineering a long-term solution to the security of the data that they're protecting. Otherwise, if you just double down on hygiene and hunting, your adversary is just going to double down on their offensive methods, and then we're going to have the same sort of stalemate that we have now. So I really, really want to see much more adoption of, uh, of security engineering across the board. Um, yeah, you, you, you talked about like the information sharing uh, and like, you know, with FireEye, you know, sharing that information, that was that that was great. Um, you know, I've, I've talked often about the uh, the attack that uh, Google suffered in China. I think it was like 2012 ish. Um, and how they did the same thing. Like Google went public with, hey, the, here's, here's, here are the indicators of compromise that we have that, that, that show that this seems to be coming from China. And then all of a sudden, everyone else came out of the woodwork. It's like a lot of people were seeing things, they just weren't sharing it. And, 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 and Google kind of opened the floodgate and then everyone shared and, um, and that was great. And then it kind of stopped a little bit. Um, but I do think, you know, we have all these, uh, like industry specific ISACs, you know, where they are, they are, you know, collaborating, you know, within the banking industry, within the, you know, you know, whatever, you know, so that they are at least comparing notes on some level. But I do agree, or I, I, I do think that we should have that on a more global level, like not not just industry specific, but you know, cross industry sharing of information on on a more regular basis, um, because I because I've I've drawn the analogy many times of it's like having a jigsaw puzzle, and there's there, there's a thousand pieces in the puzzle, but the intelligence you have is just five pieces, and then that company has ten pieces, and those guys over there have four pieces but you have no idea what the end puzzle is supposed to look like or how the pieces fit together unless you all sit down at a table and, and put your pieces on the table and, and see how they fit. What's, what's really interesting about the threat intelligence conversation is that when are you done? In other words, you and I, we put out a report, we started a threat intelligence company and we find this one IP address in China, in Mississippi, in Canada, it doesn't matter. This is a malicious IP address, here's all our evidence and we publish it out. So then the question is then, okay, now if I define my security as I want to have all the threat intelligence, how many threat intelligence vendors do you need to buy where you've got all of the threat? And then the question is, is how much does the government know? You know, what's that gap between everything in the private sector and everything in, 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 in the government? That would be a really interesting thing to, you know, to, to, to know from a public policy point of view. Having said that, though, CERT actually did a study on this, and they actually said you had to buy something like 88, 99 different threat feeds to get close to 90% of all the unique IP addresses and DNSs out there. And I put a blog entry at Gula.tech about this, and this is this is dated probably about three, four years ago, because the problem is, is now you have this burden. There's like a 50 million, 100 million, you know, different IP addresses. Just IP addresses alone, they're doing really, really bad things. And people like Recorded Future, they give away their, um, their like top 100,000. A lot of times you have a firewalls and you say, let me just block that. I want to disconnect that from, from the internet. You can't go to like a Palo Alto or a Cisco and drop that in, which is one of the reasons we invested in this company called Bandura, where you can actually just come in and try to block all of that, uh, all that kind of stuff. But that is just one strategy. You know, having good security engineering 
where you don't have the ability to exploit, you remove certain things, you know, things like, um, like we don't have an investment in this space, but this is an example of security engineering, browser isolation. You know, if you can literally isolate your employees from the internet traffic that they're sharing, that's great. And it's a good example of, of security engineering that doesn't take any threat intelligence at all to protect yourself from all of those threats. Yeah. No, I, I and I've I've actually you know worked with a couple different browser isolation uh, vendors, so I, I, that is an interesting space. Um, I also like the um, I like the deception space, uh, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, I I've had sort of philosophical debates with a couple of deception vendors where I'm like, because they, they, some of them seem very sensitive if you if you say that it's like a honeypot, and I'm like, okay, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> like you're 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 kind of doing the same thing on a on a different level, different scale. But but I mean I, I like the idea because it, it you know for whether you're talking about a, an external threat or an insider threat, which might even not be malicious, but you know people get curious. They have access. They start poking around where they shouldn't. Um, and you know when you have this decoy asset on your network or whatever. That's an automatic red flag. If anyone, if anything connects to this, then you know, okay, well, wh whatever the reason is, it's not good. It's not valid. There's no valid reason to connect to that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of deception. And, you know, one of the things Marty, Marty and I, Marty Roche and I worked on uh, BBN was honeypots. This is like the late, you know, mid 90s, if you will. And then you had Mantrap, you know, which was acquired by, by uh, Symantec. And they use the Solaris, you know, operating system to have virtual before virtualization was like a really big deal. And now if you look at things like Ativo networks, you look at things like Trist Labs, they have made honey pots, honey tokens, honey docs, honey users, honey crumb trails, honey this, honey that. They've made it really easy and they've made it, you know, basically acceptable. Most of these companies list Fortune 20, Fortune 200 you know, in their uh, list of customers. And the funny thing is if you talk about, well, I'm a big nation, national bank, and I'm gonna put honey tokens in my documents, and this stuff shows up with a hacking group, well, that's kind of like hackback. That's kind of like you're doing cyber offense against people who are hacking you. And I think we're doing these kind of things already, and people don't realize that, that this is just the modern form of defense. Yeah. Um it, it it is interesting, you know the the you know technologies like like that. Um, so you know whether it's deception, whether it's uh, the you know browser isolation. I think those are those are examples of sort of newer technologies that are that have kind of uh, come to the mainstream in in recent years, and 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 you know eventually they either gain traction and become you know uh, things of their own or they end up getting acquired by larger companies who say, you know what, yeah, deception's a cool thing. Let's roll that into what we're doing. Um, you know, so those those are- I'll give you another- You go ahead. Another, another good engineering one is this concept of whitelisting. And, and the basic concept is you have some sort of process on your computer that controls what software can can run. And if new software tries to run, it'll, it'll shoot it down. It's a brilliant concept, very simple to, to articulate, very hard to do in practice. Because what is, how do you define software? If I, if I have Adobe and they come out with a patch, well, that technically is new software. So do you do it by the certificate of the code that's being signed? Well, that can be faked. Do you do it by understanding what's normal about that thing and alerting when it behaves, behaves differently? These are very difficult things. 
But in practice, we don't teach the general public the decisions that they're making that expose them. So if you've set up a Windows computer recently, Windows 10, the first time you go to install Zoom or a non-Microsoft kind of kind of app, it says, do you really want to do this? Because right now we ship you a version of the operating system that can only run Windows software. And that's a good level of security engineering. I mean, right away, you are basically having the ability to limit a vast quantity of malware just with that simple policy. As soon as you open it up and say, anything goes, you're sort of taking a car out without a seatbelt or turning the airbags off. And we're not doing a good job teaching the general public that, that these technologies exist and they're making these bargains with, with uh, you know, future malware that they're letting into their network. Right. It's, it, it is interesting because it, the, the way Windows 10 ships is sort of like they're, they're shipping it to you under under sort of the Apple model of saying, here's our operating system and you can use the apps from our store that we have vetted and and we're giving it some sort some sort of seal of approval. You know, we're, we're not guaranteeing that it's secure, but but at least, you know, someone has looked at it. Um, and then you have the ability to flip that switch and basically go to the Android model of <laughs> no holds barred. You can do whatever you want, download all the software and that's on you. Um, so you, you, you have an either or situation. Um, and it's, it's almost like we need, you know, the smoking labels on cigarettes, like this could cause cancer. Like you, you almost really need to have those kind of labels for the general public because you or I, as, 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 as cyber people, cyber wonks, I mean, we can talk and pontificate about, oh yeah, that's kind of cool and whatnot. Kids in school, my parents, you know, you know, senior citizens, they, they have no idea. It's, uh, it's just crazy that, that we don't really have more. Uh, education for you know for you know for that yeah you know and one of the other things is is traditionally you know, like the uh, you know the 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 model of cybersecurity uh, for for many years has been it's reactive it's the the attacker always gets the first move and then you know we figure out how to defend against that you know that's that's the whole model of signature based you know uh you know security solutions is before you can create the signature the the threat has to exist and you have to discover it um and now more you know this has always been the case but even more so now that's not really good enough and it comes back to what you were talking about you know that we need better engineering because you can't you can't you, we need to be proactive not reactive with security i mean if you look at the way ransomware is now Two years ago, three years ago, you know, they they came in, they encrypted your data, they said, "Give us some money," and the the guidance was, "Well, don't pay the ransom, just do a better job of backing up your data, so you can tell them to go jump in a lake, you restore from backup, and you're back up and running, no problem." Well, the ransomware groups have said, "Okay, we can play with that with that model. We're going to first take your data." <laughs> Then we're going to encrypt the data and ask for the ransom, but we're going to add the additional incentive that if you don't pay the ransom, we're going to leak your data, sell your data, expose your data. So now your backups no longer protect you from the ransomware. So now all of a sudden, if you're if you're you know Apple, Acer, who were both hit with fifty million dollar ransom demands this year, um, and I don't know if they paid or didn't pay or negotiated a different deal or or I have no idea what the outcome of that was, but if the ransomware attacker says, look. I have all of your intellectual property and I'm going to release it publicly if you don't pay this ransom. If you're Apple and you're sitting on a hundred billion dollars or whatever 
uh, of cash, you know, why wouldn't you pay the ransom? I, I think it's really interesting. So when you think about someone's going after your, your backups that are not encrypted, and you look at somebody who says, I don't want to join the cybersecurity field because it's just it's just so technical. I mean, look at all the requirements for like the payment card industry standard. Look at all the requirements for the NIST cybersecurity framework. But somewhere in there, it says, do you do backups and are they encrypted? And that's really no different than when the airplanes get ready to take off. Do the flaps work? You know, is the landing gear retract? Do I have a full tank of fuel? People are not associating the fact that running an IT network is really important. It's not just something that you can do haphazardly. So, you know, people are starting to really learn that IT is important and these standards are out there the, to, to, to do things. The question is, is are people going to take it, take it seriously enough? Well, one of the, the, the uh, fallout or the responses to Colonial Pipeline is I saw the news story that said that and it surprised me for a couple of reasons, but it said that the, the TSA is going to require that uh, pipeline companies report when they're when they're you know, when there's a cyber attack. And I thought, a, why does the TSA have jurisdiction over that? I thought they just did security theater at airports. And b, um, why is that new? Why, like why why weren't why weren't we already requiring pipelines to report when there was a cyber attack? Like the, it, it's mind-boggling that in 2021, there had to be a major attack for them to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we should know about that when that happens." Well, if you compare the government's response to COVID with the government's response to cyber, you can really see some difference. So let's say you get the zombie plague, and you call your local hospital your local hospital will eventually get the fact that, hey, there's a zombie plague, it'll eventually get to the CDC. Whereas with cyber, if you called up your local state police, it might get the eye. It might get somewhere else. Now, if, you were, if you're sophisticated enough to be an ISAC or you and other companies, like-minded like companies can share, it might go there. Um, but if you're going to pay a ransomware, maybe you're required to have a license to do that so the government is, is aware of that. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing. But right now, you know, when an airplane crashes and we have the National Transportation Safety Board investigate these, you know, there's not like thousands and thousands of different types of airplanes, you know, flying different types of directions and speed. It's pretty well regulated and well controlled. So when something does happen, we can usually find out something that's relevant to everybody else. With cyber, I'm really concerned that, you know, we do need more transparency. I want that. But I'm really concerned that, you know, the Colonial Pipeline hack, the meatpacking uh, hack that occurred recently, and then even just solar winds and the Florida, you know, water water station hack, they could be all completely different technologies. And someone's going to point to somewhere in the NIST cybersecurity framework or the MITRE attack framework or the payment card industry and what regulation they could have done to stop it. And it won't be, you know, it won't be that that have the effect that we want it to have. Right. Well, and going back to the, the idea of of the kind of public private cooperation, like I feel like as the stakes have increased and as the line has blurred, it becomes more incumbent on the government to take a more active role. Uh, not saying that it's the government's job to protect everybody, but there needs to be cooperation. There needs to be involvement because the U.S., if 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 Russia and China and Iran and North Korea are launching attacks, 
that are like a broad spray across the United States infrastructure and they're hitting U.S. companies, the U.S. government can't just say, well, hey, you know, you know, Joe's manufacturing in Nebraska, that's not our problem. You know, it's like it, it is. Oh, our, it's you're our, it's you're absolutely right. But, but Tony, let's say you're president. What, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to launch nuclear weapons against cyber attacks? Are you going to do cyber attacks against cyber attacks? Are you going to do economic sanctions? I mean, how many more sanctions can we do against a nation like Russia, for example, to deter the the aggression? Or somebody like China, who's one of our biggest trading partners out there, like they build all of our stuff. You know, what's the right policy long term to, to deter intellectual property, you know, theft, for example, which is completely different than maybe, you know, China supporting Iran or China supporting North Korea or China supporting you know, other types of, uh, of country, countries that are not, you know, not aligned with the United States. It's a really interesting issue. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the general public just does not understand cybersecurity. So it doesn't become the political hot button that the colonial pipeline did. That, that's really the first time something in cyber really happened that the general public said, you know, this is something we really need fixed. Right. Well, and that, and, and, you know, so you go from Wait, I can't get gas now, which wasn't really true, but but yeah, but 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 that that was the reaction to wait, I can't get steak now, you know. So you know, this is definitely getting the public's attention <laughs> at this point. Um, and what I'm hoping it happens is that people understand that they are whoever you are, you are somebody else's supply chain. So people who are like, oh, I don't want to pay for that extra IT person, I don't want to pay for my managed service provider to do some hunting and hygiene for me, or, oh, I really don't want to upgrade my website and protect it with Cloudflare, you know, what, whatever it is, that people are going to realize that it's that kind of attitude that they will be the next colonial pipeline. They will be the next meatpacking crypto ransomware. They will be the next city of Baltimore that gets, that gets you know, locked, locked down. And it's unfortunate because there's probably a lot more of that that's going on that's been infiltrated that hasn't been crypto ransomware because we're waiting, you know, our adversaries are waiting for the right time and place to cause disruption when it's right. to their advantage. And well, that I, really, I really wonder about the continued fallout from solar wind. So like, you know, so we just had the revelation during RSA, uh, you know, a week or two ago that turns out the, the solar winds compromise happened like 10 months earlier than what was previously thought. And it's like, okay, so what we're saying is the adversary was in the network for like a year and a half and before they were detected. And it's like, so even after we detected it and we say, okay, well now we, you know, we, we found these things and we've, we've put out guidance and, and tools to say, okay, well you can find these things and, and, and remove them or protect against them. But we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what other zero days have already been planted. What other time bombs exist in the, in the infrastructure that are just waiting to be used at a later date. Yeah, my concern with the the solar winds is is if it was a hundred percent of a remote internet style attack. Certainly, that's very efficient in something like the nation of Russia, and probably other nations could 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 pull off. But the reality is is that Intel doesn't really work just that way. They have assets here in the country, and nobody really imagines you know the cleaning crew, uh, you know temp workers, employees possibly being subverted by you know foreign intel to target their company. But the reality is 
If you have a small number of people who are indeed working, you can make devastating cyber attacks. You can turn a small asset into a huge cyber asset. And this is where I think companies really need to be thinking about their, you know, their employees, their partnerships, uh, sentiment, understanding all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it, when you're talking about uh, China and Russia, like one of the things that, you know, it's related, but, but separate. But back when I was, you know, when I was in the Air Force, when I, I was I was very into the planes, you know, I've got the F-16 over here. I've got an F-111 up over here uh, on my wall. Um, and at one point in time, you know, I knew every bit of data about those those jets, you know, like I could tell you the thrust to weight ratio. I could tell you, you know, the wingspan, you know, like like everything you wanted to know about an F-16, I could tell you. And I found it always found it interesting that, you know. You look at Chinese aircraft, you look at Russian aircraft, and it's like, there's no way they didn't steal our intellectual property. I mean, the MiG-29 is just an F-15, you know, and, and you know, actually, I was having, I had a conversation with my son recently. He was, he was just talking about the amount of money we invest in Defense Department research and development in general and, and how maybe that's not very necessary. And I said, you know, you can almost make an argument that those investments become a double-edged sword because every time we invent something, the adversary gets it too. Yeah, I mean, the Soviet uh, Buran, you know, their space shuttle looks a lot like our space shuttle. I mean, I get that. And 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 that's what, you know, folks who are lagging behind tend to do. You know, the first person in the room, you know, bumps into, in the dark room, you know, bumps into all the object, makes it easier for the second person. But, you know, talking about the intellectual property, you know, loss is, it doesn't really emphasize enough the advantage the United States has of having a transparent society. We have a transparent democratic society and we have a lot of institutions that we have a lot of public trust. And a lot of what's going on with Russia and China is they're attacking our institutions. They're making our politicians look, you know, not as sophisticated as they are. They're making, they're undermining a lot of our law enforcement. You know, if you don't think some of the you know, maybe riots and stuff that happened over the summer was flamed on social media, you know, with disinformation. It's, these organizations are against that. And I don't think the American public understands how much Russia and China don't like us as a democracy. And and again, once you understand that, you understand the fact that majority of what you see on, on the internet has been engineered for your eyes, either by people trying to sell you something or, or trying to, to, to deceive something like that. So I'm happy to talk about in, you know, trying to limit intellectual property theft, but the bigger struggle is that we have a transparent society going up against these closed societies. And I, I really want to make sure people understand that and arm themselves against it. Right. All right. Well, I want to start to wind down, but uh, related to that, and you know, you've got the, the, the Star Trek stuff on the shelf behind you. Uh, my son and I also often talk about that that Star Trek society, you know, and the Federation and, and, and how, you know, at some point in the future in science fiction, it, 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 it you know, there's a basically two versions, either it's a complete dystopia or the world has come together. Basically countries no longer exist. And there's just a kind of a global uh, government, a global, you know, global society. And, you know, I've noticed lately with uh, most movies that have to do with, getting to Mars or, or interstellar travel, it's always an international coalition. You know, it's always all the countries working together. So when I saw that, you know, China landed a Mars rover, that was kind of one of my first thoughts is that almost seems like a 
waste of resources and, and stuff like the, the fact that we did it and they did it like we, we could have worked together and maybe we could have gotten there in half the time or, you know, like it, it just seems silly for us to both launch this basically the same mission to Mars. Yeah. Anybody who doesn't think we are in a great power struggle with China, you know, needs to needs to really look at that. I mean, it, it, it really is a question for our time because we are so interconnected with them. They they really depend upon us. We really depend upon them. I think a lot of folks in the United States feel like we've we are very dependent upon China, but you are seeing a lot of manufacturing and and businesses coming back to the to the mainland. But at the same time, you know, I think there's a lot of hope that that China is eventually going to become a, demo, a democratic uh, you know country, but likely not. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there who've written on this. Uh, General Rob Spaulding is pretty much like, look, we we can hope all we want. They are not going to switch anytime soon because of the stranglehold they have on on their culture and and and, and their public. So you're probably going to see a lot more of this great power struggle between Russia. I'm sorry, between uh, America and China. And, and Russia's, you know, putting their hand in there too, but it's really going to all be about China and the, and the United States. All right. Well, I want to thank you uh, for joining me. Thank you for taking the time. Tony, thanks a lot for having me on. Anybody wants to learn more about our foundation or investment, just go to gula.tech, www.gula.tech. Awesome. And I will uh, make sure to include the link in the uh, blog post with the, with the podcast. Um, so, yeah, take care. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts. 